church there. There hadn't been a church there before. Church got going good. They were, they were operating in the love of God. They were strong in faith. And then these people come in bringing this heresy from somewhere else. You know, probably, the, probably what was known as the Judaizers. I don't know. It doesn't say. But, but they were bringing in false teachings to add to Jesus. And so Epaphras went, sent the message or, or got in touch with Paul and, and was asking for help to how to address this issue, because Paul had not been there himself. And, and it's believed that he wrote this book from Rome when, when he was in prison in Rome. And so about 60 A.D. or somewhere around that time frame. We don't know for sure. So if you, if you want to believe it was earlier or later, that's fine. I won't be mad at you. Um, but so Paul wrote back, and he, he, he wrote this book with this situation going on. And he wrote the book to address this, but he didn't just write this book and and write this letter and just lamb blast them, lay them out without flowers, how dare you, you knew what you were taught, you know, all this stuff. No, what he did was he taught them about Jesus. He commended them at first for their faith and love and, and taught them how the Word is always, in, in the chapter 1, I believe it's verse 6, the Word is always working. It's always producing fruit. And so if you've got Jesus and you've got the Word, you've got everything you need, and then he went on in, in the second half of chapter 1 and he taught them why Jesus came and into, into chapter 2, who he is, uh, what he did, what that means for us or, or how, we, how we function off of that. And, um, and then as it got into chapter 2, we got into this third part that we finished last time about warnings against false teaching. First, he gave them Jesus and emphasized that they have everything you need. You've already got it. you got everything you need. He brought everything you need. You don't need to add anything to Jesus. And so he came on that strong. And in the, in the middle of that part, which was the second part here, Jesus the Great Mystery, the reason we call it that is because he got into those verses at the end of chapter 1, 26 and 27, where he said, this is the mystery. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that what we were talking about before the, as the service was getting going? It's that, it's that anointing. It's Christ is in you. you got everything you need. It's in there, you know. It's all in there, and you've just got to learn what you have and what authority you have if you're a believer. Now, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, that's the first thing you can take care of. But that's real simple because He came to die for everyone and, and has already died and forgiven everyone. It's just up to you to receive it. And Romans ten nine and 10 tells you how you do that. Y'all remember how that goes? I hope. This is a quiz. <laughs> Two things. First, you have to do what? Believe in your heart. That's free. That's easy. And then the second thing goes along with it. Then you confess out of your mouth. And when you put the two halves together, I hate if you missed Friday night because Bayless was preaching my message about Romans 10, 9, and 10. But anyway, you put the two halves together and something happens. And when you put the two halves together on confessing Jesus, it says that you're born again. You're saved. Okay? Saved is the word it uses in there. And you've received. Now, in... in as far as when, when salvation really was provided to you, it was provided when Jesus died on the cross and went to hell, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and rose again. But you didn't receive it. How many of you, how many of you received it 2,000 years ago? Anybody in here that old? <laughs> oh, we got, we got some ancient ones in here. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I wasn't around back then. <laughs> Contrary to what my kids believe sometimes. I might be ancient, but I wasn't that old. But anyway, I wasn't around back then. Jesus provided it back then. But I, you know what? I didn't receive it until 1976 or 1975, one or the other. Anyway, 
It was a while back, but it wasn't that far back. <laughs> so Jesus didn't come back in 1975 and die on the cross again for me, did he? When you got saved, did he come back and die on the cross again for you? No, he provided it all back then. And you know what? It was enough that it was good for you 2,000 years later. But it was all up to you to receive it. Just because he provided it doesn't mean that, you're, that you have become saved and that you're a child of God and you're going to heaven. Because if it was, everybody would be going, right? And we, just, we know that's not true. Jesus said himself that narrow is the way, right? And few there will be that find it. Unfortunate. But that's the, that's the facts. And so, but when you receive it, and that's what Romans 10, 9, and 10 is about. He has provided it for you. And once you believe that, and then by corresponding action, which is the definition of faith, Toby, you act on it and you speak it out of your mouth, then it becomes a reality in you. And at that moment when you did that, and if you haven't, you can, you can do that as early as the end of this message today or when you go home and you're alone this afternoon. It's that simple. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And that's the point you receive. You receive your adoption as a child of God. All the papers have already been signed. You don't have to have any additional shots or anything. And, and you get the inheritance that was laid up for you. And it's just that simple. But once you do that, then you've got everything Jesus provided. You don't get it in rations. You don't just get forgiveness. And then if you earn your righteousness and you become good enough for a while and get yourself cleaned up, then you might get something else. Maybe you get a healing here or there. Or, or maybe you'll get His peace. No, it's a package deal. Now you have to receive it. And as you go along, you have to receive these things that belong to you. But it's up to you, right? It's all available. It's all free. Once you enter in, it's up to you to receive. And so this, that, that's more or less the, what Paul was trying to get across to these folks in, in chapter 1 and 2, was you've got it all. You've got it all. Why, why would you, why do you th- what are you chasing after? You already have it. It's right in here. Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Not Christ somewhere, you know, you know I've got to pray Him down from somewhere or whatever. No, the anointed one, he is, he is at the right hand of God. He's in two places, but he can be in two places at one time. Part of his presence is in you. The anointing of him is in you. Anyway, so um, then we, we're, we finished up, as I said last week, on these verses in chapter 2, 6 through the end of the chapter, where he's warning against false teaching. And, and one of the key parts of that, and I'm just reviewing... You know, if you go to school, the teacher... Isn't it good if you're going to have a quiz, if you're going to be tested, that you get a review first? I know I was always thankful for those review sessions in college because the exam was hard enough. It was good if you could go hear the professor tell you what what you might want to know to study for the exam. (laughs) You know, everybody always clamored for those review sessions. So anyway, so for last time, he was talking about, you know, what the devil will use to get you off track is traditions of men and philosophies. And if he can get you in your mind to elevate those things that you have been taught in your education or, where, or in your tradition or in your church you grew up in or in your family with great-grandma or whoever, um, if he can get you to put those things and your doctrine, well, I believe such and wonderful. But what does the Word of God say? If it's the same thing, super Okay, but if he can get you to put those things ahead of your respect for God and ahead of the authority you place on God's word, then he's got you. He's got the hook in your mouth. And then what he'll use 
is an offense over those things, over those philosophies, over those traditions. He'll get you offended at somebody, or at God even, or somebody who's touting the principles of God's Word. He'll get you offended because you... And how has it happened? Because you've placed those things ahead of, of God in priority in your life. And then with the, he'll use that offense then to get you totally deceived. And then he'll lead you off in a deception. I don't mean totally deceived, but in that particular area, you would have a deception. And you wouldn't realize it because it's a deception. And then you get led astray. And this is what Paul was teaching. If you read verse, I think it's 8 in chapter 2. He's telling about how these things are empty deceptions, these philosophies and traditions. It doesn't mean every one is an empty deception, but any of them that come against God's Word or any of them that you elevate, even if they are something that doesn't go against God's Word, but if you elevate that, that thought or that teaching of man above the Word of God, it can become a tradition to you. I know people that that follow certain Bible teachers and it's become, a, it's become a, a tradition to them rather than it has been getting the revelation that teacher's teaching and then get off track. Then you can get off track here in the Bible. Yeah, you could. If you're taking it wrong and you, you're, setting up, you're setting up the word of that man over and above God's word, you're still setting yourself up to get an offense and to get deceived. And so it's so important to avoid that. And that's what Paul was teaching in, in chapter 2. So today we're going on with the next section, which starts with chapter 3 and goes into the first part of, of 6. And it's consider your old self dead and focus on the new you. And so this is the answer to the warnings against the false teachings in chapter 2, is if you just consider your old self dead, then your old self won't get you into trouble. And the new self that has the anointing of God in you, that anointing is, is, a per, is the perfect man. And so if you can focus on that aspect of your life, focus on who you are in the spirit, your spirit man has been what? Born again. Born again of who? Of your ideas? No, of God, right? You went to God and, and the Holy Spirit came in and you had a new birth. You were, your spirit man was born again. Does God birth anything flawed? No. Your spirit man, when it was born again, was reborn perfectly unto God. Now, the other two parts of you, they're a mess. And some of you, was more, you know, are more of a mess than others because you've been working on it longer <laughs> or you've been working on it harder. And so it doesn't mean you as a total package are perfect. Some people get off track with that. There's been whole churches that have been started saying, well, we're perfect. And they don't clarify what part of them is perfect. And they start believing they're perfect in every area and that they can't, there's no way they could ever sin. Well, I'm sorry, there's only been one sinless one so far. <laughs> and, and his name was Jesus. But the other two parts of you, they may have been purchased, but they've not been totally redeemed. <laughs> and for now, that's up to you. Paul said in, in Romans that we're supposed to present our body as a living sacrifice. Don't go kill yourself, but present your body as a living sacrifice unto God, which is, it says is your reasonable service. So it could be done. And then renew your mind. To the Word of God. So we're going to get into some of this. But this is the answer, is focus on the new and consider the old man dead. Okay? And so that's what this is getting into. So look in verse 1. It says, therefore, if you have been raised up. So if it says you've been raised up, then you must have died, right? <laughs> Else you wouldn't need raising up, right? So just to confirm that, look at the beginning of verse 3. It says, for you have died. 
Okay, so does that answer the question for sure? For you have died, <laughs> and your life is hidden with Christ in God. All right, look at verse 5. It, it confirms it too. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as what? Dead. So, if you've been raised up, then you must have died, so you must need to be consider yourself dead, right? Else you wouldn't need Jesus to raise you up. Did He raise you up? When you were born again, He raised you up, right? And we're going to get into that, and we're going to see some other scriptures and other locations that, that confirm that. But so let's go back to, to verse 1, and, and let's look at the rest of what it says there. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, comma, and the first part of that is, before we go past the comma, you've been raised up with what? With Christ. And Christ is, if you translate it, the anointed one and his anointing. So if you've been raised up with the anointing, what was it that raised you up? Okay. This is not hard. This is an open book. So you can answer. If, if you've been raised up, what have you been raised up with? The anointing, right? The anointing raised you up and, and brought your spirit, man, from being dead to being alive from God. And so it was with that anointing, it was with that Jesus and his anointing that you were raised up. And not only that, you can look at it, look at it this way. If you go back from a historical perspective, and we were in Christ, and we said all this was paid for and provided 2,000 years ago, when Christ raised up in a figure of the future and of faith, you were there being raised up with Him. Now, how could I do that? I wasn't even born yet. Because the, the provision occurred all at one time. When He was raised up, you were raised up. Everybody that was ever going to be raised up had the ability, the provision to be raised up. And so... What raised you up was the anointing. And when did you raise up? You were raised up when the anointed one rose up. Now, you didn't receive it then, like I said, because I don't know if any of you were living back then. But when you received it, then you put yourself in that place of, I was raised up with Christ. See, only God can do that. If not, that'll just blow your mind. But God can do that kind of thing. He's that awesome. That He can do something in the future, back in the past, before you even existed. See? Awesome. Isn't that one thing about God, that He knows the end from the beginning? We call that omniscient, right? That's one of His character traits. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Aren't you glad that He didn't leave you out <laughs> back then, that He included you? And so you were raised up with Christ, comma, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above where Christ, the anointed one, and His anointing is. So what we're, if keep seeking, keep seeking implies something that you continue, right? Or in other words, it's a focus. So if I'm going to keep seeking the anointed one and his anointing, it's my focus. Where, what am I looking to? I'm looking to the anointed one. I'm looking to the anointing. Okay? When we're saying anointing, you could just translate that presence, power of, of presence with voice. Okay? Things like that, right? And so I'm supposed to keep seeking that. I'm supposed to keep focusing on that. Since I've been raised up, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to keep seeking, keep focusing. See, that's where the majority of church people or of believers actually miss it. They forget the keep seeking part. They just stop with, well, so, um, I've been raised up with Christ, period, exclamation point, end of story. Now I'm just going to live the rest of my life until I die someday. But that's not what, that's not what the Bible teaches, right? You've been raised up with Christ, comma, keep seeking, when do you stop? I don't know. Keep on. <laughs> when you get to heaven, you can ask, ask the Lord that. <laughs> but until then, keep seeking. I kind of believe you're going to keep seeking when you get there. 
Because I'm not sure you're going to know all the answers just in a twinkle of an eye. Maybe you'll know a lot more of them because you'll see things face to face. But I believe you might even have to have school classes up there. I don't know. But I believe you're going to keep seeking. Even if you know everything, you're just going to keep seeking the presence of God all the time. So I really don't think it ever ends. But keep seeking the things above where the anointed one and his anointing is. And where is he seated? It says he's seated where? At the right hand of God. So... We talked about this in in part two, but the anointed one is seated at the right hand of God. His anointing is on the inside of you. We're supposed to, it was in two places and you're supposed to seek the things that, you're supposed to keep that connection. See, make sure you stay connected, that his his two parts are all connected and flowing as, as the Holy Spirit talks to you through that anointing. And so be sure you stay plugged in to Jesus. Jesus is is sitting at the right hand of God And he's not just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. The Bible tells us he ever lives there to make intercession for you. And so if he's praying for you, stay plugged in, man. (laughs) Stay plugged in so, so that you're connected with his faith. His faith speaking to the Father is speaking, is speaking purpose, is speaking victory, is speaking health. Is speaking prosperity. Is speaking you're going to minister to that lady and she's going to get the results. Is is speaking you're going to minister to your son and you're going to pray these these things and take authority over these things. That's what he's 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 agreeing with these. It's where his faith is. Stay plugged in. Keep seeking what he's seeking. Keep yourself in a place where you're in agreement. You're in a position to to receive in agreement what he's praying for you. If if you, he's praying, he's always praying his word for you. He's always praying his will for you. It's always good. It's always blessing. It's always favor. You're the one who can get yourself out from under that and say, I'm going to go do my own thing. My tradition says this. That's the way we always do it. Well, bless God, don't let the Bible get in your way then. <laughs> you know, whenever, if you're that determined. But, but we're supposed to keep seeking and keep plugged into him, the anointed one. And his anointing. You don't have to go to heaven to get plugged in. There's a, there's a spiritual connection, you know. It's like, an, it's like an extension cord or whatever. Or I guess today it w- you could be better understand it. It's Wi-Fi. doesn't have to have a cord, okay. The spiritual internet, <laughs> okay. And so, we, and we talked about who he is when we talked about the second part of this book, The Great Mystery. Why he came, who he is, what he did for us, how it does it work for you. So stay plugged into all that. And then um, it goes on to say in verse 2, then what are you to do? Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things above. Well, what did it just say was above? It's the anointed one, right? Christ. So set your mind on Christ. And, and so set your mind on two things that Christ is. It's the anointed one, and where he is, seated at the right hand of the Father, and his anointing. Set your mind on the anointing that dwells within you. You know, all these testimonies again this morning. It's about that anointing that was, that's within you, that we need to understand, and we need to keep, keep functioning in that. Functioning in that grace, that power that lives within you. You have access to all the power of the one sitting on the right hand of the throne in heaven, because you have that connection and that same power, that same anointing that's in you. Jesus did what he did. Did he do what he did because he was deity? Because he was the Son of God? This is a question. When he came to the earth, did he do what he did because, because 
he was the Son of God. What did he call himself when he was here on earth? Did he call himself the Son of God? He called himself the Son of Man. He laid down his deity and he operated in the anointing just like he expects us to do. He didn't come here to be the Son of God and do something and, and show us how to live and act like nobody could do because we're not the Son of God. Now, I'll come back to that in a second. Don't get confused on that thought. He laid down his deity and came as a man. Now, it didn't mean he wasn't the Son of God. The truth is the truth. But he didn't operate in that. He operated in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He had to talk with his Father. He had to listen. He had to move. And what he, he said, I didn't do anything except my Father tells me to do it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Not just because he was the Son, but because he was operating totally and constantly in the will and anointing of God through the Holy Spirit. Else, he couldn't have been our example. We could never try to shoot for the things that he told us we're supposed to do. He said, the things I do shall ye do. Well, how in the world could we do that? We weren't the Son of God, begotten of God before he ever came to the earth. Were either of you the sons of God before you were born? No. But he said, the things I do shall you do, and greater works shall you do. Because why? Because I go to my Father. And you got the connection, see? He did them, and, and the same way he did them is the way he expects us to do it, is under the anointing of God. That power that lives within us, the voice that we hear within us, that grace of God that he implanted in us when, we, when our spirit man was born again and is full of the Holy Spirit wall to wall, as Andrew likes to say, wall to wall Holy Ghost on the inside. That's how you do it. And so... Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the anointed one and his anointing, which is in you. And then it says, set your mind. Well, you've got to set your mind. You've got to set it. Because it didn't come set. It came all messed up in this deal. So, you know, unless you were born again at the very moment your baby infant brain started developing. But even then you were born into sin. But otherwise, you probably learned some bad habits. And you probably learned some bad thinking and some wrong thinking, and some traditions of men, and philosophies of men, and deceptions of the devil, and all these things that you learned. You say, well, I was only 10 when I got born again. Well, you still learned it. <laughs> you ever seen a 10-year-old act out? You ever seen a 5-year-old act out? Um, if not, well, we need to talk. But anyway, you've got to renew your mind. Romans twelve two. I just referred to that verse a few minutes ago. Renew your mind to the Word of God. So you've got to set your mind on the things above. It's an action you have to take. It's not a one-time deal. So I'm going to set my mind. Set. You know that thing will get unset on you in no time. You have to keep hitting reset. 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 Because it'll veer off. <laughs> no, reset. Set your mind on things above. It's a continual reminder. Continual focus. Keep your focus. And when you lose your focus, get your focus back on things above. This is the answer that Paul was getting them to focus on. Somebody distracts you over here with some false teaching, some false doctrine, just say, uh, no, 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 reset, <laughs> reset. <laughs> and you'll keep straight because you're focused on the things above. You know, this word is anointed. Just like you're anointed and Jesus is the anointed one, his word is the anointed word of God. I'm not talking about this, this book with paper pages in it. I'm talking about the words in here that God inspired. The Bible says that God moved, men of God were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to write the Word of God. That's foundational. You need, to, you need to believe that verse. If you tear that one out, you might as well throw the whole book away because then it's just words of men. 
It's not just words of men. That's what. That's the difference. That's the difference between this and the Koran and uh, Confucius and all these other religions of the world. Is they've got a book, but it's not the Word of God. This one is, and that's why there's a difference. If you don't believe that, then you you need to pray and ask God to reveal it to you, because if that's the foundation for everything, is that to believe that God inspired His Word. And can speak to men. Because if he can't speak to men to write a book, he can't speak to you. If he can't speak to you, you're doomed. Powerful thought. So, set your mind on things above. Look at, um, look at back at chapter 2, just for a minute. A little bit more reminder. Verse 9 and 10. For in him, remember this verse, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. So set your mind on him because he is the fullness of deity. God the Father invested everything in Jesus. And when he conquered death, hell, and the grave, he became the king of kings and the Lord of all lords. And the Father gave him the world as his inheritance, the heathen as his inheritance. Because their faith is the heathen are not going to stay heathen. They're going to become believers. They're going to become God's children. And so it's all invested in him. And it was the intention all along. He was there in creation. He helped create creation. It says creation back in, in, in the earlier part of this book was for him. So he is the fullness of all. And it says that in him you've been made complete. In him. So you could, you could substitute there and say in the anointed one. Or in the anointing, either way you want to say it. Him and, and Christ is referring to the same person. So, in Christ, you have been made complete. Outside of Christ, <laughs> you're incomplete. You're a mess. But in Him, you have been made complete. And so, that's why we need to set our mind on the anointed one and set our mind on the anointing is because that's where we're complete. And that completeness will complete the other two parts of you your soul and your body, that need some completing. (laughs) They need to be straightened out. And they need to become in line with your spirit and with the spirit of God. And it is possible. It is very possible. Else Paul wouldn't have said, present your body and renew your mind. It's a lifelong journey. And we're going to get into that here in in this chapter. But it is very possible. You don't have to be ruled by your soul and body. You can turn the tide and the, and, the, and the one that turns the tide is to renew your mind and flip that switch over in the direction of your spirit man. And when those two line up, then two-thirds is going after God. Then all you got to do is work on your body. It usually gets real quiet around that point. Okay, but it says, not on things that are on the earth. So, what's it talking about here? It's talking about having a different kind of mindset. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. So does that mean, well, I can't set my mind on things on the earth. So I can't, you know, I can't make dinner. I can't eat. I can't, you know, pick out or put on clothes because that's something on the earth. No, it's talking about where is your focus? Where is your priority? What kind of mindset do you have? And so we're supposed to be, according to this, if we're setting our mind on, on Christ where he's seated and things above, then we're supposed to, you could say, we're supposed to be anointed-minded. Or you could say it this way, um, word-minded, heavenly-minded. Okay? You ever heard that before? Some people say, well, he's so, she's so heavenly-minded, she's no earthly good. 
that might not be a bad thing to be accused of, you know, if you really think about it. If you take out the impracticalities of it all, you have to do practical things, you know, to function on this earth. Because you still live on the earth, by the way, in case some of you space cadets didn't realize that. You still live on the earth, and there's some things you have to deal with here in the natural. But you're not supposed to be just natural-minded. Because why? That's beneath. You're supposed to focus on things above, where Christ is. And the anointed one. So being heavenly minded, you could say it's being spiritually minded. Getting your mind, your focus, your priority on spiritual things. I don't mean the wooey wooey. I'm talking about the spirit of God things. Not all kinds of things people chase after. Angels and gold dust and all these things we mentioned last week and all this stuff. Okay. Um, Another thing is, as you could say, it's having a righteousness consciousness. Look at 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, just back a few books, not far in your Bible because these are skinny little books. 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, He made him, and this is a capital him, so it's re- usually when it's capital him, it's referring to God or Jesus. He made him who knew no sin. Okay, so who's this talking about here? Jesus. The Father, he. It's a capital he. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So what are you? If you're a believer, if you've asked Jesus into your, into your heart, what are you? You're the righteousness of God. Righteousness just means the one in right standing or having right standing. You have right standing in Him. In and of yourself, you didn't have right standing. In fact, you, you were lost, the Bible teaches us. But in, once you got in Him, then you are the righteousness of God. You're the right standing ones. And so when we talk about having a righteousness consciousness, that means if I know I'm born again, if I know I'm a child of God, I've seen the papers, I've agreed with them, I've signed it or agreed to it, and he's adopted me into the family, then my mindset can be, I'm in the righteous family. I'm not in the sinner family anymore. I might have been a sinner, but now I was a sinner saved by grace. And so now I'm part of the family of God. Does it mean I could never sin again? No, because remember we just said all three parts of you weren't, weren't born again, weren't perfected, but your spirit man was. And so the other two can lead you into sin, but your spirit man is perfect. And that's the part where the righteousness of God dwells in you, the anointing. So having a righteousness consciousness means you're focusing on that anointing. You're focusing on that position you have as a child of God in Christ Jesus. And so if we focus more on who we are, the identity we have in the Spirit, the identity we have in the family of God, more than we do our earthly identity, things we identify with, what is my job, what is my career, what is my position in the earthly family, I'm the father, the mother, the child, the husband, the wife, whatever, what what position I have on this committee, that committee, that organization, this charity, that whatever, in the church, Those are not the things to focus on. The things to focus on is who I am in the spirit realm. I'm a child of the of the God of the universe. King of kings, Lord of lords is my brother. He's given me everything that he has. I get the same inheritance. That's being having a righteousness consciousness. That's being spiritually minded. That's being heavenly minded. That's being word minded. That's being anointed minded. And that's what we suppose what we're supposed to be. And that's what will help us to get the results that we need to get to be a blessing to other people. You can't be a blessing to other people if you don't even know who you are or what you have that you have to give to them. But you have lots to, to give to them or God to get to them through you 
if you just realize it and you'd focus on that. And see, it takes all the pressure off when it doesn't have to come from you. It comes from the anointed one and that direct connection he has with you from his source but just flows through you. You know, Shala kept saying, it wasn't me, it was God. You wouldn't have to say that because we knew that. But, but, but I'm glad that you acknowledge that because some people don't. They get to thinking they're Jesus. You know, you're not Jesus, but, he, but, but with him in you, you can do anything he can do. You have anything he has. You, you are in the same position he's in. Not physically, but as far as relationally, you're in the same position. You're the same child of God. It said Jesus, after he, after he accomplished what he came here to earth to accomplish, he was no longer beca- called the only begotten of God. He was called the first begotten. Read your New Testament. At that point, it changes over. He was the first begotten. You became the next begotten. You ever read all those begottens in the Old, Old Testament? So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so and begot so-and-so. And you go on down, there's a thousand of them. Well, you're one of the begottens now in the New, t- new Covenant. God begot you through Jesus. And you're one of the begotten children of God. And that's a good thing, right? And that's the kind of mindset we're supposed to have. Why are we supposed to have this mindset? Look at verse 3. Why are we supposed to have it? Because you died. You died. So the old you is no longer the one that's in, that should be in control or is the real you anymore. Once you were born again, the real you is the spirit. The spirit you. Once I was born again, Scott was not identified as the old self, Scott. I should be now identified as the born again spirit of Scott. Because that's the real me. The real me. That, you know, God put a spirit in, assigned a spirit to you when you were born. But because you were born into sin, you didn't have the presence, the power of God in you. But when you became born again, that unique created spirit became alive to God and became born again. That's why it's called born again, not born the first time. But you were, you were unique and created by God. And that, that was the real you from the beginning. You just didn't realize it. And it wasn't alive. It wasn't alive to God. It was deceived, born into sin. But the real you really becomes evident when Jesus comes to live inside of you. And you invite him in and you receive him and you receive that anointing of God. Man, you're different. People know you're different. You knew you were different, right? Did you sense you were different when you, when you got born again? It was just something. It's like, wow, I'm different. It's because the real you really came forth. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to as it says, keep seeking after that. And let that one be dominant. See, the problem we have and the struggle in this life is because we, the two parts of us, our soul and our body, fight against that spirit man. And so many Christians don't understand who they are. That's why it's so important to... For this study, we've been studying spirit, soul, and body. To realize who you really are. You really are a spirit. A born-again spirit. Alive to God. Filled with the anointing of God. And once you realize that, you realize that's the real you. But otherwise, people, people might understand about inviting Jesus in and being what the, what's called saved. But they don't really know what that means. And so they just keep living the same old ways they always did. Ruled by their flesh their mind and their body. But if you focus on the spiritual side of things and you focus on the anointing, which is what Paul's saying here. I didn't write this, by the way. Paul did. He said, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep sinking the things above where Christ is. So if you focused on Christ, the anointed one and his anointing, then it's a different way of living. It's a whole other way of living. But why do you do that? Because you consider the old man, the other two parts, you consider them dead. 
We're going to get into what that means in a few more verses. But you consider them dead. And so that's why you do it. How you do it is in the, the rest of verse 3 here. It says, and your life is hidden with Christ. And translate that. Your life is hidden with the anointed one and his anointing in God. So how do you live with your spirit man dominant is because that life is hidden in the anointing, in the anointed one, in Jesus. You're hidden in Jesus. And if you realize that and you focus on that, and that's where you set your mind, is he saying, then you will live a different way because you'll live by the anointing, which means being led by the Holy Spirit, and the will of God, as opposed to just any old thing you want to do or whatever feels good, do it. This is what this is what the sin nature teaches you, is if it feels good, just do it. Who cares, man? Whatever. God? What God? Who God? You know God. But once you become a child of God and you know God, you know that that's not the way we're supposed to react and not the way we're supposed to live and not the focus of our life. You were, you were created for a purpose. You're a child of... Again, like I said, of the God of the universe. He created you uniquely. He created you different than anybody else. He created you with a purpose that nobody else can do, just exactly like you can do. There may be other people that have a similar focus or a similar vocation or a similar skill set or similar talents, but only you can do exactly what God called you to do the way He wants you to do it. And so that's why it's important for us to pursue our purpose in life, pursue the will of God for our life, and then start doing it. I remember um, Pastor Jim, who uh, used to be the Bible teacher in our in our old church. He used to quote, um, I forget who the author was. You might remember, but the the quote he said from this from this author was that the happiest people in the world might have been Demas Shakarian. I'm not sure. The happiest people in the world. Who are they? They're the people who know what God's called them to do, and they're doing it. Does that sound right? Have you experienced any of that? Okay. All right. So how you do it? is knowing that your life is hidden in Christ. And you focus on that. Now I want you to look at Ephesians 3.20. And I'm going to read this out of the King James. I think it's a little clearer there. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to what? The power that works in us. So if you read the first part of that verse, you would think, Oh, it's, it's, it's all this power in heaven that God can do all these things that are exceeding abundantly above. But then you read the last part and it really blows your mind it's because it's the power that works in us. And, and the reason is, is because the anointing is in you. It's not floating around somewhere up there. It's in you. And so God can do exceeding abundantly above in your life because of the power He's placed inside of you. That anointing. See, this is what Paul was trying to get across to these Colossians. Is don't it's not because you know you have Jesus and it's not well then I got to do I got to do this ritual this tradition I've got to do these practices and these all these things uh, in order to get it all right. No, you don't. It's it's you've got it all. You've got if you've got Jesus, you've got everything. Focus on <laughs> that anointing, the things that are above. Keep your mind on that. Keep your mind on who I've just talked to you Jesus is. That's all you need. Don't add to it. That's where the power is, actually. Well, I think we're going to stop there today um, because there's time to cover.